Hi, this is Arij Noor, and this is the podcast of Triple R's The Wrap, a weekly radio show weaving conversations about culture, politics, literature, art and music into a weekly mix. Broadcast live on Triple R from Kulin Nations land in Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and if you have any questions or feedback, feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. So I've written out a bio for Adia because I know um, whatever's on the internet will be like a quarter of the extra stuff that she does. Um, she's a writer. She's a creative producer. She's a programming director. She's a children's book author. She's a poet. She's a teacher. She's a community arts expert. And actually, for me, one of the first people in this city, well, first African people in this city who just did the work, went out, got the community together and just like forced us to do art stuff, <laughs> just put us in a room, locked the door and said, be creative, do art, it'll be good for you. And then in the end it was good for us and now we're all here acting a mess and running a mark and having a really good time with it. She also is the inventor of the West Riders Group and the West Riders Forum and a million other amazing programs in Melbourne from the Footscray Community Arts Centre to everywhere else that you would think of and she's now living all the way across the world which is really really (laughs) sad for all of us um and has just launched her first ever children's book so how you doing hi (laughs) hi how are you good that is the best description i've ever heard you lock people in a room and just hope for the best (laughs) make art do art but tell me that's not exactly what that's exactly (laughs) what i still do You Yeah, you literally did though. You were like, okay, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to organise like a space for you and then I'll give you a key and then you could just um, just work the rest just out. Just figure it out, yeah. We'll, we'll figure out fun. the details. Definitely. I love it. What's it like being back to launch a book? Um, I, okay. <laughs> I've been away for not very long, but it feels like it's been forever. I've been away for a little over a year and... Okay, for those that know, do you remember when Mace did a comeback (laughs) and he released that song, Welcome Back? That's how I felt at the launch, as cliche and and lame as that is. But I literally, I couldn't have imagined the level of, um, I guess, the the joy um, that I felt and the feeling of, like, completion and um, just love from Mm. the community um, in coming back. And I have to say, it also helps that the coffee is great mm-hmm. here mm-hmm. and I am drinking it every minute <laughs> I can. Listen, as much as you can. So you, it's kind of a full circle thing, right? You went mm-hmm. away, you put together this amazing book and we'll talk more about it in a minute. Um, and then you came back home and launched it to your extended community of creatives, but also like your your community community, your people, people you grew up with. Mm-hmm. And and all of that. I just want to ask one question about the book and then we're going to move on and come back to it. Why why a children's book? Why a children's book? Yeah. Um, so over the, um, the last couple of years, as you mentioned, I'd done a bit of work in the performance poetry world uh, a number of years <laughs> ago now. <laughs> but people kept telling me that they really wanted to see an album um, or a, a poetry book or something of that nature um, in terms of the creative output that I would work on and it just didn't feel right to me and so I would always find a reason to delay or postpone or you know do something else and um, 
once I actually really sat down and I thought about the one idea, one creative idea in terms of my own personal creative projects, um, putting on my artist hat, the one creative idea that I thought, okay, this doesn't exist here in this way. Mm. Um, And I can just, I can only imagine the impact of something like this. Um, And it seemed like the idea of least resistance for me Mm. in my mind and in my world at the time. And I, when I tell you that I was living with the main character for like four years in my mind, I was almost starting to feel a little bit crazy (laughs) because I'm like, okay, so this is what she does. And this is what she, I I know her personality. I know Mm -hmm. what she looks like. Um, And so just bringing that to life felt, felt completely the completely like the right thing to do yeah it's interesting that you said you know I dabbled a little bit I did a little bit of performance poetry but I think at the time of when you were actually out there doing that there was actually very few people who were especially like black African women who were out there performing especially at the very very beginning I remember I was in high school there was no one actually there was there and was no one. <laughs> it, and there was actually, yeah, you're right, absolutely no one. There were people who were coming from overseas and we'd be like, yeah, yeah, and we yeah. have Alia, and yeah, and we have Alia. And then in the last maybe decade, I would say, if yeah. like not to, you know. Oh, my God, I feel so old. Thank you. Because I remember I was, in, I was in high school when I was coming to yeah. see you perform. That has completely shifted. The scene has really turned on its head. There are so many. So exciting. It is so, so exciting. exciting. What's it like you to see You get to pick that? and choose yeah. who you want to go and see and where you want to go see them. And, you know, um, I think uh, it's such a beautiful thing to, to hear people talking about. And though I'm um, out of the country, I see a lot of it on social media and I, I hear people talking about it. And I just, it, it brings me such joy because it's almost like, this is what we were hoping would happen mm-hmm. and this is what um, what we had pictured the future would look like and here we are in it, yeah. you know. So um, it's a moment of like, it's a moment of uh, realisation of a dream and I think that's that's an amazing thing. Yeah. And you also started working within the art sector here, not just in your own creative way as like a producer, creative producer and managing events and organising events and all of those things um, quite a while before there were that many of us in this space. What have you seen in in that time from then to now um, in terms of those changes as well? I feel like um, a few years back you would have to go to specific places to see certain things Mm. and oftentimes it was maybe there would be one event every few months that everyone's excited about and everyone's going to. And you're going to see everyone, um, especially uh, whether it's uh, uh, creatives that are um, of colour um, or identifying whichever way, um, just, in relation to, uh, just in relation to diversity. Mm. Um, and you see everyone at that event. And the great thing now is that it's almost like people are like, oh, I didn't catch you with that one. I'll see you at the next one. <laughs> see you next week. Be- exactly, because <laughs> yeah. there'll be another one. Yeah. And it's such, an, it's such an exciting time for us. It's such mm-hmm. a, I think we're at a point now where it's, um, uh, uh, we can pick and choose, yeah. right? Um, it's almost like we really can show the diversity of, of our interests and um, our cre- creative capacities because you can go here and see this. Mm-hmm. You can go there and see that. I say that though with um caution because we're not there yet yeah if we are to sit here and just be stuck in the in in the um 
the excitement of the, about the growth, we will miss out on opportunity because we're not there yet. I think there is still so much that needs to be done in the arts industry when it comes to um, diversity, equity and inclusion. I think that there are so many conversations that um, uh, need to be had that aren't being had. Uh, I know you and I have those conversations and I have a, a lot of these conversations with amazing people in the sector who are doing brilliant work, whether it's in radio, in the arts, in whichever capacity. Um, and we know what needs to be done. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think uh, there are some really interesting reports that have come out um, recently, especially through Diversity Arts Australia. They released a report last year that really highlights yeah. how far um, how far there is still to go. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really interesting because often, you know, when we see all of these wins and we're so excited by these wins, there is a core group of people from those communities who are putting themselves out there and really making these changes happen. They're not necessarily institutional changes in terms of access to spaces or access to big festivals and stuff like that. That's still quite low, but it's the musicians, the independent artists, the people that are creative producers who are doing it freelance or independently that are really making this scene as vibrant as it is. And I think the other commu- the other kind of bigger institutions who have the power and who have the money really need to catch up, yeah. right? And they yeah. really need to support these people um, to ensure that it can actually be as widespread as we want it and as widespread as it needs to be for there to be a functioning and flourishing 100%. arts community. A hundred percent. I think one of the best things that have um, that one of the best things that's happened to me more recently is um, uh, living and working um, outside of Australia mm-hmm. because that gives you hindsight and perspective in a completely different way. And I think that um, when I say the missing, you know, we're not there yet, and um, there is a massive missing piece. I think it comes down to institutional and structural change. Mm-hmm. And I think especially when um, in the industry we might have a few people or just even a few uh, uh, communities or a few arts organisations who are really trying to push for that. I don't think we've really seen. Um, uh, I don't think we've seen intersectional leadership. Um, or representation um, at an executive level in the arts industry yet. I don't think we've seen strategic um, change. I don't think we've seen um, uh, sustainable change. I think we've seen. Uh, I think we've seen a, a, a growth in diversity. Yeah. And the problem with a growth a growth in diversity is that sometimes we look at that and we get excited by that. And we forget that there are missing pieces like um, equity and inclusion that really need to be represented um, at a higher level when it comes to leadership in the industry for it to be sustainable, Mm -hmm. structural and lasting change. Um, And I think uh, you and I have had this conversation a lot and I I really, really hope that this is a conversation that can be had um, on a bigger scale um, in a more... um, I guess, in a more uh, open forum in the industry. Yeah. I remember when, you know, you and I are first having these conversations and others in the community were having these conversations. It was about not just programming people of colour, people from diverse backgrounds or whatever, but actually having those people as the creative producers and then not just as the creative producers now, having those people in decision-making and in artistic director and these kind of higher upper management roles where they are strategically planning where such organisations are going to go and that actually really being the big change because you can program people 
Um, and that's fine and you can do that and anyone can do that. But for there to be sustainable change and actual community engagement, people need to be not only employed as creative producers but also in the strategic planning and in the boards and, and all of those all of those areas. 100%. And, and you're raising a very interesting point. I, I actually was very lucky, um, I believe it was last year, where I was um, awarded a grant by the Australia Council to go to New York to spend some time at the New Jersey Performing Arts Centre specifically um, as part of a community engagement, um, career development um, uh, project and I spent while while there I was I spent time with Donna Walker Coon who, if anyone knows the arts industry and the marketing um, community engagement um, uh, world, she's an expert and quite literally has written a book on community engagement um, called Invitation to the Party and uh, I mention her because for me I had to um, go to New York to um, have uh, an opportunity to to receive mentorship from a woman of colour. Mm-hmm. Um, not to say that they don't exist here, but um, it just shows that there is a real void in representation um, in this, in Australia at the moment, especially mm-hmm. at an executive level, especially um, in thinking about the strate- strategic vision of an organisation and how we plan for our future um, as a country. Um, and, and I always say... Uh, uh, the arts is where we vision who we are. It's where right. we write the story of our nationhood, right? And whether it's through performance, whether it's through dance, whether it's whatever whatever art form that you're interested in, it's where we imagine our future. Right. And if we're seeing such a massive void in how we imagine who we are, I think we, um, we're, we're treading on very dangerous um, uh, uh, land because essentially... Um, we we've just come out of invasion day right. um it's it shouldn't be a new concept for us right, here in right. australia right we should be like light years ahead of everyone else um but unfortunately we're we're still in this space where we're having these conversations mm. and you mentioned being you know in the u.s in oakland in the bay area what are you up to there what are you doing all the way on the other side of the world since you've left us um <laughs> but i'm not upset about that <laughs> excited for you Yes. Well, it should make you feel better that I have to come here to have great coffee, but we're not going to get into that. Um, So I am currently, um, I'm based in Oakland, which I'm I'm loving. I'm enjoying being out there um, so much. There's so many really exciting, great things to do. Um, And I am working um, in East Palo Alto. Um, at an arts organisation out there called Epicenter. Um, and I'm a program director out there working specifically with young people, um, uh, middle school, mm-hmm. high school and transitional age. Uh, and it's really exciting for me because uh, it's uh, very sim- a very uh, similar in some ways uh, landscape, but also very different in that I'm working primarily with, with um, young people of colour. And again, it's... <laughs> It's basically the same strategy. <laughs> Bring them together, close the door and say, figure it out, make some art. Great things will happen eventually. So, yeah. I love that. I yeah. love it so much. Triple R on FM, digital, online and via the app. Thanks so much for being here. It means a lot. I'm speaking with Alia Gabrez, who has just kind of schooled us on all things like creative arts <laughs> programming and diversity programming and all of those big buzzwords. Um, 
But the kind of main reason that you're back home is because apart from family, mm, apart from family, okay, whatever. (laughs) Okay, I guess Um, is because you're launching a you've launched an entire book, which is almost unbelievable because it's I'm holding it right now. Like you can hear me. This is a bit of ASMR, but you can hear me flicking the pages, (laughs) and it's the most beautiful book I've ever seen in my life. It's called Hababa's House, and it's part of a broader series, which is Iman's World. Who is Iman, first and foremost? And tell me a bit about Hababa's House. So, um, Iman is the main character in the Iman's really, really, really big world series. And um, the kids asked me this at the launch, who is Iman? (laughs) And um, my answer is that actually I have two people in the family who have that that name and they're currently going through a dispute about (laughs) who they believe Iman is, my youngest sister, Iman, and then I have my my cousin's uh, daughter. And um, I guess for me, the really, really exciting thing about um, that question is that I've had so many young girls like, I, I can't even tell you how many, mm. like, uh, it, I can't even count. Um, with just even the, the release of the promotional material um, online and then also the release of the book that think they are Iman. Mm-hmm. And young girls that, <laughs> one of my friends in, in California, um, when her daughter uh, saw, the, the, saw Iman for the first time, the character of Iman, um, she said, oh, thank you, that's me. <laughs> Oh, you shouldn't have, like, you know. <laughs> which writing is, me a whole book. Thank you for spending that time. That's <laughs> lovely. And then so many other young girls who were like, oh, her hair is like mine. Mm. Oh, her this is like mine. Or her that is like mine. And for me, that is, I, I can't even, we talk about representation. Yeah. And that's, I guess, one level of it. But to really actually see yourself as Iman, as the character, I couldn't have planned for something yeah. like that. What does Habuba mean? I mean. What does Habuba mean? Um, Habuba is actually uh, the title that a lot of people in um, East Africa use for their grandmothers. Now, it, uh, it's it's a little bit complicated. the The book is based on a um, a story of a family, an Eritrean family, who is living in diaspora. Um, and uh, because of their experiences of diaspora and migration, they use the term Habuba, mm-hmm. which generally um, though is used in East Africa is a term that comes from Sudan. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've had one of the, the young people call me out on that mm-hmm. um, to actually say, that's not what we call our grandmothers in Eritrea. But for me, it was really important because it's also part of reflecting our migration right. um, journey and our mi- migration narrative. And we've picked up so many different words from different places and made them our own to the point where you might not even know that that's not what um, uh, 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 people in Eritrea call their grandmothers. Um, also keeping in mind that we have uh, nine different language groups. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's what Hababa means. It's amazing because it kind of made me think about, I was like, okay, so Hababa is like probably not what we say in terms of like back home, but it's definitely what I but use do you, yeah. personally, right? Yeah. And so then I started to think about what it is in like Tigre, in the language that our family speaks. Um, and I was like, wow, we really don't, don't use that word. We, no, we, we use Habobo way more. Yeah. So it is actually a perfect kind of reflection and representation. There's also something to be said about, um, about like Eritrea as a country and about how I just spent the last three months traveling and I would say maybe three people in the maybe 50 people who asked me where I'm from actually knew what the country is and where it is and what it looks like and who the people are. And that's kind of a reflection of my entire 
upbringing yeah. in Australia, right? And so um, having a book like this is kind of the book that I wish I had as a child because often you, you know, when you feel invisible and you feel extra invisible because nobody knows what your made-up country sounds like or, you know, <laughs> if you have to convince them that it's here and there and show them on a map or whatever, to actually have this and for, you know, there to be a grandmother and a granddaughter and a mother and they're having yeah. conversations and they're, her songs are in Tigre and there's so many things in this book that really touched me when I first read it um, and really is the book that I wish I had when I was a child. What kind of responses have you had from parents? Well, one of the most touching responses that I've had is that a parent actually said, um, thank you so much for writing this because for so long, we, when we read books to our kids, we don't have anything mm. that reflects their, um, their cultural context, right? And we read them books from other places, which most people of color understand mm-hmm. that reality. Um, Alice Walker talks about um, how we, we, we generally read widely, um, black people and people of color mm. um, are well-versed in other people's stories. And that's not to say that that's a bad thing, but when there is a real void in that, there is absolutely nothing that um, is tangible or available or accessible that reflects your own story. Um, the most That was the most moving thing. He said, um, the parent said, you don't even know how meaningful this is Mm. to be able to sit down with your child, to sit down with your baby and show them pictures in a book um, and read a story to them that reflects our experience. And so for me, there's also an intergenerational um, connection there, which I find um, really, really moving in that a grandmother, a parent and a child Mm -hmm. can all see themselves reflected in in a story. And I don't think I really, I wish I could say, I I knew that that's what I was planning to do, but that's not the reality of it. That's not the truth. Really what I was, what I wanted to do with book one is introduce Iman, um, the character, within her cultural context and for people to see her as um, an East African child Mm -hmm. living in diaspora. And then what we do after this and in the rest of the series hopefully just um, cements the foundation of who she is Mm -hmm. um, um, as uh, as that child. So that's been really, really moving for me. Let's talk about the illustrations because they really are like next level. Yeah. I when I first flicked through this book, I it was just almost unbelievable. The grandmother's Bilai, the mom, Iman herself, the hair, the facial features, just all of it. What was that process like? Long. Yeah. <laughs> I had an amazing illustrator, Tanya, Tanya V, who um, worked on a year-long process of getting it right. And I think um, one of the reasons why I decided to self-publish in the first place was because I wanted to be part of every element of the creation of the book. Um, and I had a vision for the um, standard that I wanted to meet, and I think she exceeded that. Um, and I think primarily because a lot of times when we're talking about um, representation and we're talking about um, uh, stories of the community by the community, um, there are some things that don't, there are some elements that are missing Mm. and, and don't make those, those creative outputs um, competitive Mm -hmm. in that if you put a a book that is uh, representative um, next to a book that is in a bookstore, children's book that's in a bookstore, oftentimes the illustrations don't don't yeah. meet 
uh, a standard of engagement for children um, who are used to the you know the high quality, the high yeah. quality products. Yeah. Big publishing houses, big illustrators. Exactly. Yeah. And um, for me, I really, really wanted to focus on the illustrations being representative in that way. And, you know, creating something that hasn't existed before. Um, Tanya had never illustrated a belay, which is <laughs> a traditional garb um, for uh, a lot of the um, elder women's in, uh, women in the community. Uh, it looks a lot like a sari. Mm-hmm. But um, she was like, okay, how do I even do that? Or say Iman's hair, um, yeah. the texture being very specific, Iman's features being specific. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't want to create a generic um, black um, uh, family. I wanted to create an Edithian family in diaspora. Yeah. You'll even see artwork that's hung in, in the, on the, the walls. It's the details, Alia. It's the details. Yeah. There's so many like little things looking at this, you know, drinking having orange juice in whatever little the tea the tea, shahi cup the tea shahi cup. cup the tea cup and the cookies and it just is like my entire childhood so that's something <laughs> i feel a little bit i love that nostalgic and i feel really excited because i know that this isn't just um one book and then it's over it's part of a series what happens in iman's world now what what where is she going? What is she doing? Um, the kids asked me that at the launch. They were like, so that's great. What's next? And I was like, I can barely figure out where I'm at right now. Um, so I guess the really cool thing is that um, right from the beginning, I had nine story ideas already sketched out. Um, and I am very, very excited about the level of engagement, the level of interest. I have people in California asking if I'm doing a launch there, which I wasn't planning to do, but I guess I have to put in uh, in the calendar, on the calendar. Um, and so um, I think what's next is to see how far we can, we can um, uh, push the, the book out there, um, yeah. Hababa's House, um, try and engage with communities as much as possible. My strong suit is in programming. Yeah. So I'm already thinking about programming opportunities where we can take this to um, classrooms, where we can mm-hmm. take it to libraries. Um, there's a lot that can be done with the book. Um, I'm also thinking about um, uh, just seeing the level of excitement that the children had um, at the launch and I tell you, there was a moment where, like, I didn't expect to, to have so many. It's crazy. Apparently, a lot of children don't come to children's book launches. But I was sitting there and I had a whole, like, a sea of children looking up at me as I was doing the reading. And mind you, I don't come from a children's book background. So I was like, am I now a wiggle? You are. I must be a wiggle. You absolutely are. And it just made me go right, I've really got to focus and, and continue to grow um, this field and this space um, in Australia, especially when we're talking about children's books. Yeah. I can't even tell you how much work still needs to be done when it comes to representation. Um, and the fact that we have a community, um, the really exciting thing about this book is that I was able to put it out as an independent project. I don't need to make an argument to a publishing company or um, about the the level of engagement. It's already there. Yeah. Um, whether it's in in photos or sales or whatever it might be, we sold out um, in in at the launch, and 
that for me just proves there is a market. It yeah. proves there is a hunger for, for this kind and of And people content. are buying it for their nieces and their nephews and their future children. And, you know, it was like people are like, yeah, I'll get four. Okay, I'll get five of these. Yeah. And that is, you know, my brother came home with a few. My auntie came home with some. And I was like, who are you going to give these books to? They were like, well, keep one, keep one at home. And then they're listing out the names of the nieces and nephews and the cousins that they're going give, to give them to. And I think that that is just like such a clear indication of how important this book is for the community, specifically the Eritrean community, yeah. but of course the broader community who would also benefit greatly from reading a book like this about, you know. It was really girl. funny to me because I was just like, do you need that many books? <laughs> how many books like, do you have? And some share? people that I know in the community who are buying books and I'm like, no, but your sibling already bought a whole bunch of books. Are you giving these books to the same people? But I think there was a level of like excitement that people felt. And, you know, the really cool thing for me was at the launch, there were dads, there were grandparents, there were children. Everyone was there. And to see everyone engaged at that level was was super exciting. So where can people get a hold of um, one of these books or just get a bit more information about Habob's house and Iman's world and you and all of the above? Yeah, if you go online... um, uh, the website is www.imansworld.com. Um, so you'll see all the information there. Also, you can follow um, Imans World on social media and, and find all the really cool stuff and all the information there. I feel kind of sad because I know that you're flying out literally tonight. So I'm still quite amazed that you're here. But anyway, um, I feel sad because I know that after this interview, I have to say bye to you and then you go back to Oakland. So I just want to keep it going <laughs> for as long as possible. But we can't do that. You do have to go. Alia, thank you so much for coming on the thank show. Thank you for having me. Of this course. is a great chat. Yay. A great way to end the trip. I'm so glad. Alia is a an arts programming director and author and a million other things. She's also just launched Habova's House, the first book in the Iman's really, really, really big world series. You can grab yourself a copy and check out more info at imansworld.com um, and Iman's World on all socials. You're on Triple R. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Triple R's The Wrap a weekly radio show weaving conversations about culture, politics, literature, art and music into a weekly mix. Broadcast live on Triple R from Kulin Nation's land in Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoyed the podcast and if you have any questions or feedback, please feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website.